How do we navigate the tensions between having brilliant products that help us enjoy outdoor activities, yet are difficult to repair and recycle? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome back, it's episode 81, and thank you for downloading. In today's episode, we talk with René Bateman of Faude Sports. I met René last year when we were speaking at a UNESCO panel discussion on circular economy education and jobs. René Bateman specialises in textile and apparel technology, and has worked for several leading brands across Europe over the last 15 years. René is Senior Innovation Manager at Faude Sports, that's spelt V-A-U-D-E, managing innovation processes and projects on material and related technologies, including biopolymers. René is also a consultant of the Faude Academy for Sustainable Management, and we'll hear more about that too. He shares his knowledge at many events on the topics of bioeconomy, circular economy, and innovative material technologies. Faure's mission is all about thinking with foresight, being considerate in our dealings with others, acting from the heart. Faure believes we can move forward in outdoor sports and in everyday life through the development of sustainable products. Faure reminds us that future generations will only be able to enjoy the mountains and a pristine planet if we conserve what we love. Let's explore that with René Bateman, and I'll jump back in afterwards to share what I took away from our conversation. So René, for people who haven't heard of Faude, please could you tell us a bit about what it does and how it started? Yeah, so we are an outdoor and bike sports outfitter. We are located in the area of Lake Constance, that's in the south of Germany. Uh, we were founded in 1974, and we are 100% family-owned right now with a second generation um, yeah, um, they're running the company. And yeah, so the outer sports business differs through specific purpose-driven products in a natural environment compared to fashion. So um, as our products protect from nature elements, we do have a responsibility to protect the nature from us, <laughs> particularly. So, uh, meaning we need to look on our environmental footprint. And that's also what is within our DNA of Faudi, that uh, we want to give the best products out, but with the lowest environmental footprint. There are also trends, but no fast trends such in fashion. Yeah, and that's that's a, a great... Um, way to think about the clothing that we need, isn't it? That it um, it protects us from from something, whether that's 
shoes, you know, the, the simplicity of shoes protecting us from sharp things and, and um, uh, you know, dirty things on the floor. <laughs> um, but often fashion um, creates many more needs and desires um, around that, which we kind of, you know, we lose sight of the essential function of, of clothing and outdoor gear. But that I really like the idea of thinking about how the what we buy in terms of outdoor gear is protecting us from nature, but that it has a dual responsibility to pr- protect nature from us in terms of, um, you know, what happens to it at the end of life and so on. So um, I'm keen to understand more about your design thinking approach. Um, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your role at Vaudi, at Vaudi and, um, and, and kind of how that's feeding into the current sustainability challenges for outdoor clothing. Yeah, so I'm working as a senior innovation manager at Vaudi, meaning I do have not like a routine work. So um, I'm working with everything which is not really available yet on the market. So in our market, in our, in, in the, our direct supply chains. So I'm looking for new technologies, especially new materials, um, where we can um, shift a bit uh, away from our um, fossil-based materials towards to the uh, renewable and recycled materials. So, uh, because due to the fact that um, that we have a protective factor in our products, we rely on synthetics. So, meaning on fossil-based materials. Um, in our industry, a long time ago, uh, when the synthetics were not really um, established, uh, they were used. Uh, so we were using uh, wool. We were using natural materials. But uh, when you're coming to the protective factor and also to the comfort factor, then the synthetics are offering a much um, higher. Um, I would say a much higher. Um, yeah, protection in this area, and also in terms of comfort. So. Um, for us, it's important that we need to shift uh, away from those uh, fossil-based carbon towards to a renewable carbon. So when we're looking, especially on the beginning of life of our products. So at Vaudé, with our brand material goals, we have set ourselves the goal to make um, 90% of our textiles by 2024 out from renewable and or recycled materials. So uh, meaning that those textiles will have a renewable or recycled material content of over 50%. So of course we're aiming for 100%, but uh, due to availability and technical barriers, it's often not really possible to go to 100%, also sometimes due to economic reasons and yeah, and also, we are aiming to extend it on our component areas, such as hard plastics and films. So, mm. um, so that's quite an ambitious starting point, anyway, isn't it? Because um, twenty twenty four isn't far off, and to say ninety um, percent of the materials should be renewable or recycled. But just to come back to what you said, you you used the term um, from renewable carbon sources. Um, could you unpack that a bit for us? Is it go, kind of going beyond recycled materials to, to, yeah. to something else? 
Yes, exactly. So we're knowing it a bit uh, from the renewable energy. So, so we all know that we need to shift uh, our energy sources uh, from the fossil-based one or from the nuclear power ones uh, towards to the renewable um, energy sources. So there are different possibilities there, different pillars, I would calling them, like solar power, wind power, and also hydropower, and some more. And as the same concept, we also need for our materials. So uh, let us say more or less all the materials we're using in our industry, they're based on carbon. So meaning we need to go away from those uh, fossil-based carbon towards to the um, renewable carbon. And renewable carbon, as also for the renewable energy, can come from different sources. It can come from um, biomass, mm -hmm. so uh, bio-based and uh, also waste, uh, so bio-waste um, origins. But it can also come for off, uh, so from recycled sources that will be probably also in the future the major pillar. And what is coming up is also the utilization of carbon dioxide. So that we removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere or also uh, from the exhaust pipes and converting those into chemical products. So um, this is just in the starting phase right now, but in the next 10, 15 years, this will also gain ground. Mm. So um, that's why uh, it's not so like in the renewable energy, there's not just one single solution. There are many more solutions, uh, several solutions uh, to go away from the fossil-based sources. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, I think um, you're right that the, there's, we're seeing lots of development around new generation materials. And thinking about the um, uh, carbon dioxide capture and turning that into a material, that reminds me of something... I included in the book a couple of years ago, um, Dell were capturing air pollution in India, I think it was, um, and turning that into ink that they were using on their um, packaging labels and delivery labels. And, you know, that, that seemed, I guess, relatively simple from, a, from my point of view. I'm sure it wasn't simple at all in terms of the <laughs> development that went into it. But it shows the the potential of of um, you know turning turning something problematic into something that that can be um, used to replace a, um, a fossil based carbon. So, um, but I guess the the key thing is not so much around what the materials contain. It's it's what happens to them at the end of life, and how can we make sure that these materials stay in use for much, much longer. Um, so, we're, you know, we're not allowing the doctrine of fast fashion, if you like, that, you know, we only need to keep things for a relatively short time and then replace them. So how do we encourage people to keep things for longer um, by making them, you know, both durable and more functional? But how do we also deal with wear and tear? Yeah, uh, that's right. Um, so... Let us start just on the challenge we have with the end of life in our industry and so in the entire textile industry. So 
The big problem is that we are missing collective waste streams here. And also we're missing like an infrastructure, regional infrastructure, but also global infrastructure, because we have a global supply chain. So we're sourcing from uh, mainly from Far East, but also from Europe, from the US, uh, from more or less all areas in the world. So, and just um, to get the things back to it, it's also a big challenge. Plus, um, textile product contains out uh, of different materials, but also different kind of chemicals, different kind of finishes. So it's very difficult here to sort those different components out of the products. And also the feasible business models, they are so far also not really existing because if a feasible business model would exist for this to do the collection and the recycling, then more companies would do that. But so far, it's not that feasible. So uh, if, uh, in the end, it's really important, of course, for industry to have our own closed loop and not relying on waste utilization from other industries, such as um, like the um, recycled flakes from the bottling industry. Mm. So we have a lot of discussions here in the industry, but also working here on several working groups, several initiatives to uh, make uh, like a comprehensive approach. And as you mentioned, um, how can we just avoid that our stuff is ending up uh, in the bin in the end? And important, of course, is um, that um, because a textile product is a basic commodity, so it's an object of utility. So maintenance is needed, a gentle care through responsible washing, for example, is important. And you also need to know that uh, some components like a broken zipper or even like a hole in the textile, there are a lot of signs of wear over time, but if quite a few that can be repaired. So, for mm. example, just coming back to Valde here, uh, at our own repair center, uh, we can do a lot of those um, repairs for products. And uh, um, last year, so 2021, we had a repair quote of 65% of the products that came in. So we are increasing also the rate here for the quote of the products, which can be repaired in the end. It's also one of our aims. Uh, so this is this is um, people send their gear back to you because it's damaged in some way. Um, and yeah, wait, not directly to us. So uh, right. as we not selling our products directly to the end customer, we are selling it to the dealer. So the customer need to bring the stuff then to the dealer, mm -hmm. and the dealer sending it to us. Okay. Because then it goes from the logistics a bit smoother. And we are avoiding also in the end, uh, like uh, too many packages flying around. Mm, sure. So of what of what the retailers and so on are sending back to you that um, they think is repairable, um, you're managing to repair 65% of them. And then then what happens? Does it go back to the consumer who's bought it, brought it into the retail center? Or what happens yeah. to, the, to those repaired products? Yeah, so the repair... The products they are going them back to the customer, so mm. they're going directly to the customer. Mm. And and um, did I read something about uh, Faraday helping people do their own repairs through iFixit? 
Yeah, that's right. So a few years ago, we started a cooperation with iFixit, uh, who is known for uh, doing repair guides and spare parts for for doing mobile phone uh, repairs. So, uh, and we are providing here the user with uh, repair manuals and also with spare part supplies. Mm. So uh, that the customer can do uh, the repairs also by themselves um, if something is broken, for example, because this can happen. It's a product uh, which is meant to be used in the end. And of course, it, it will not last forever, but uh, you can prolong the use phase. And that's one of the most important things when it comes to here also to sustainability, that the products are durable in the end. And one thing also I would like to add here is we also developed an own repairability index, so which allows us to rate the repairability of our products. And right. then we can also see where actually are the ticking points, where can we improve also, where we maybe need to uh, design the zipper in a bit different way on a jacket that it's easier to be uh, replaced. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I'm sure there are lots of simple things that you can do at the design stage to really help things be more repairable. Um, and just, just to come back on the iFixit um, resources, because the scope of the products that the iFixit community covers now is, is growing and growing. And I found the iFixit um, sort of outdoor gear section really helpful. It's, it had a very good diagnostic to help you even decide which kind of zip you'd got because that that isn't as obvious as as you'd think and um you know i was amazed how many different uh types of zips that there were and um and why some of the zip replacement zip fasteners that i'd bought that fitted okay (laughs) then (laughs) then decided that you know they just wouldn't go up and down the zip um, and, um, you know, they, they looked visually exactly the same. They were the right size and everything, but it turned out to not quite be the same type of zip. So that's a great place to start before you, before you um, embark on any repairs would be, would be my advice. So, exactly. um, Rene, how are you, how's Vauda helping people um, understand what's happening behind the scenes with all your design work and the other sustainability and circular features of the products and processes? Yeah, so we are trying to be as as and as transparent as possible. We're also setting benchmarks in the integration of different standards combined in our own eco-design tool, eco-design label. We're calling it Green Shape. And um, yeah, our sustainability report, for example, is not just a PDF document, what you can download and then you can read through 100 pages. So it's so it is an uh, interactive website where people can click through more or less all topics which are related in terms of sustainability in our company and also topics which are driving the industry. So uh, and also we are making our statements public. Yes, yeah, so mm. to more or less every challenge we're facing, we are also having it. And the statement we are also mentioning where we are working on and how we want to improve it. Of course, it goes not everything at the same time, but uh, over time, uh, we are making yet improvements. And in addition 
we are also providing insights on uh, congresses and speeches and giving holistic and specific consultation um, to other institutions and companies with our uh, Vaude Academy for Sustainable Business. So, and here consulting, so that's like a consulting service we're offering from the people who are literally working on the transformation in the daily business. So it's not that uh, we're having only consultants here who are just doing consulting and nothing else. So the people also having like a normal daily job actually mm. and this is also coming directly then from the practical work into then as uh, a consulting work so they're they're offering their skills outside uh yeah. Fadi. okay oh that's really interesting and to to local businesses or to other companies in the outdoor gear space i wasn't quite clear on that. Yes, that's yeah, that's quite interesting. So uh, it's not really that much uh, for, for uh, so uh, coming so so, uh, so far not that many requests coming from the sports industry, but uh, from complete other industries like even automotive industry or furniture industry, and um, so, uh, coming requests in, and that's really interesting. So uh, complete different industries, but they're also having the challenges on how to tackle the topic sustainability and where they can actually um, make it a bit better inside the company, even from the management level, from the organization, but also more specific on uh, how to look on different materials. What about biopolymers, how to evaluate those? Um, yeah. Mm. So we have a quite broad field here, what we can offer. Yeah, that and that's the first time I've come across that kind of model. It sounds really interesting, and I'm sure um, employees benefit as well by um, you know seeing how other companies are approaching things and maybe um, getting better at finding ways to explain things. Because you know when you've spent a long time in one company, everybody talks a similar language, don't they? And everybody knows um, what's what's gone before and the context of where you're starting from now, whereas when you're talking to a completely different industry, um, you know, what, what they're used to and what they know and don't know is, is a completely different picture. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that sounds like a, um, a really interesting challenge for uh, employees and, and value adding for, uh, for Vaudi as well. And one of the things that um, I'm kind of looking at um, now is, is, um, the trend towards onshoring and reshoring. There are just just seem to have been so many supply chain challenges across all sorts of industries over the last few years. Um, you know, some obviously caused by COVID and the lockdowns, um, and then other weather-related issues or the um, Panama, um, the Suez Canal um, issue. So all sorts of things are, are happening, and I'm starting to see more in the financial press, particularly about the benefits of onshoring and reshoring uh, how uh, you know how how involved are you in that is that something that you're looking at we talked about your um you know international supply chains earlier what's hmm. the thinking going forward yeah of course we're always looking to have it uh, a bit more near to where we are also selling our products so where that's our 
uh, supply chain is also close to our selling points and we are selling mostly uh, within Europe. And um, the big problem is here, and it's not only for us at Vaudi, it's like for the general outdoor sports industry, it's about the knowledge. So um, we started long time ago to shift everything to Far East and in Far East, they uh, built up like the knowledge, like the expertise and also the craftsmanship of manufacturing um, those products because they are complicated products. It's not just like a t-shirt, that's an easy product, but a waterproof breathable jacket, it's a very complex product. So you need a lot of craftsmanship here. So, and also from the textiles, it is almost impossible to find the same fabrics what we're getting in Far East uh, here in uh, in Europe, for example. Of course, there are also some specific fabrics you just can find here, all the best quality you can find here. But we just simply do not have the that infrastructure here anymore. So, and that's the big problem of uh, bringing it back. And also challenged when we're looking on the production of our products. So meaning like in the garment manufacturing, that's also a big challenge because it's difficult also to find people who first want to work in this industry, want to do that job, and also who get the skills, mm. who get the skills and the craftsmanship to do the job. And that's a big problem what we're having here. So of course, uh, we need here more automatization, but it's much more complex uh, with our material we that having because the textile is a flexible material. It's very, very difficult to making here big steps in the automatization. So, um, but we also need to look, what can we do here? And the interesting point is, that uh, when you're really looking on the very beginning of life, you see that a lot of sustainable technologies, they are established in Europe. So we have here in Europe, we have a lot of knowledge about recycling technologies, also, for example, carbon capture technologies. And uh, even from the biomass uh, valorization, we also have a lot of technologies here. And we also have a lot of chemical industry also still here in uh, Europe. So one step or one possibility would be that we are going more upstream in our supply chain and looking, okay, can we also buying those chips, for example, those chemicals from Europe and then they can go overseas because we also know that the transport itself it has not that big impact in the end. Furthermore, if we also want to aim or the want to go more in the direction of uh, reducing our uh, environmental impact, so speaking about climate neut climate neutrality, um, we have more options here in terms of renewable energy than anywhere else. Mm. So that's also a big plus point. And when we're looking at the same time at the end of life of our products, which are basically mainly ending up here in Europe, we have more possibilities in future also to do the valorization regional. 
and not sending then our waste material to Far East and they doing the valorization. But we can do the valorization here in Europe. And that's like an interesting perspective, I would say, where it's the first step you can do. And then over time, we need to see how it will end up with the textile manufacturing. If it's, is there any possibility to do like a near or onshoring? But so far, uh, it's kind of tricky, I would say. And furthermore, we have, for example, in the Taiwan, where we're sourcing most of our fabrics, we just simply finding the best fabrics and the best quality you can get on certain um, textiles and materials. Yeah, it sounds, sounds, you know, much, even though I've worked in supply chain in the past, um, there's, there are just so many different aspects to think of, aren't there? You know, as well as um, the capabilities of each of your suppliers and the availability of, you know, the, the next stage of the supply chain, the next bit of upstream for them, have they got access to the kind of materials that you need and upstream of the materials what about the chemicals for the for the coating and and performance enhancement of those technical products but things like the you know what what's their local energy source if they're powered by coal mm. um, and you really want to reduce your um, the company's carbon footprint then there could be a benefit in um, spending more on the manufacturing part of it in order to tap into local renewable energy sources. So, yeah, it sounds as if it's there are just so many different elements to consider with each of the decisions. Um, so, yeah, I, I can imagine that's um, a, a big discussion topic. And thinking about the knowledge that you'd pass on to another business that wanted to go circular, um, and particularly with the the kind of um, conversations that your employees who are who are offering consulting, the kind of conversations that they're having, what would be your number one lesson learned to share with another business wanting to go circular? It's about transparency and also knowing your supply chain. Knowing your supply chain, meaning not only knowing your direct supplier, so like your tier one or tier two supplier, you need to go upstream. You need to understand who is involved and where is the stuff coming from. Because if you don't have this transparency in the end, in your supply chain, it's very difficult to make long-term changes and also re um, reducing your emissions in the end. Mm. So that's a really important point um, when it comes about... Um, consulting and also about um, yeah, the sustainability in general, because there are a lot of uh, 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 like a lot of brands and also a lot of other companies, industries who are doing really good products in the end, but often they don't know their uh, detailed upstream supply chain. And if they want to reduce their impact, it's for them kind of a bit, yeah. It's for them kind of a bottleneck because uh, they don't have that many options with their direct suppliers. But when they're going more upstream, they probably having more options in the end, mm. and also they can find more sustainable materials. They can offer them to their suppliers. Yeah, and you can just have much, much more 
fulfilling and and kind of explorative conversations with your suppliers can't you i remember from my industrial engineering days that you know the best bit of advice in terms of how to improve the effectiveness of a particular process was to ask the person doing the job themselves because they they were the <laughs> ones who were closest to you know the the frustrations of how something had been designed or the frustrations of the tools we were giving them to to work with and so on um so yeah i think knowing knowing your entire supply chain is is a great tip and thinking about values rene whether those are your personal values or the um the the values and the purpose of of Vaudi, um which one would you share um, with our audience in terms of helping to move us towards a, a better world, one that's more sustainable and fairer? Coming first to our products here, this directly is about the emotional durability. So um, I think that is a really important buzzword, the emotional durability of products, because what you love, you keep. And... Uh, you need to create an emotional connection to your products because um, it should display how much work is integrated in a textile product. Because in the end, it's, it, it is under craftsmanship. So there are people behind every product. And your outer products is an archive of your adventures. So every scratch tells a story, like scars on the human skin. Mm. So, and personal, I would say, um, you should not only question what others should do. Instead, just start with yourself. Every single person can make a change in private, so in business. So, um, and then convincing others. Eat smart, of course. Nah? Uh, and also question yourself, do you really need a car? So, uh is it really important or are there other options? Or in the end, can you save a lot of money if you're not owning a car, if you're just renting a car, doing car sharing, using other transport systems? And also, you don't need to travel to far distant places because in the end, you will find on the most remote location just another German. I experienced <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's really funny but yeah I think over the lockdown when people couldn't travel lots of people have realized that they can have um, different kinds of adventures or micro you know lots more micro adventures if you're not having to schedule in um, long distance travel and so on and, and finding different ways to um, connect with nature and um, you know if I don't need to commute every day maybe I don't need a car so that's opened up all sorts of possibilities hasn't it for for living differently and um, Renee thinking about um, who you know that's that's doing circular economy and uh, sustainable stuff who would you recommend as a future guest for the podcast yes as a future guest I would really recommend Mr. Michael Karos um, he is the founder of the Nova Institute and the initiator of the Renewable Carbon Initiative. So um, he has a long history uh, in the field of materials and also in the field of shifting away from the fossil economy towards the renewable, um, renewable carbon industry. And he is doing a lot of publications with the NOVA Institute and uh, it's for me also often like the benchmark you can get because it's it's 
always scientifically based, but not just only scientific based, because he's also coming more into the practical um, um, things. Then. Mm. And well, that's a- he has a lot of to say also, especially when it comes to renewable carbon and why we need to uh, have this one as a buzzword and also why we should not talk in our industry about decarbonization, we should rather talk about the defossilization. Because as I mentioned before, more or less all the materials we are using, they are based on carbon. And even like the a human body is based on carbon. So uh, if we're going for a decarbonization, so where should we go then in the end? So we need to uh, go to the re- renewable carbon and also keeping the carbon in a loop and not emitting more carbon to the atmosphere. I guess that's the important thing. And Mr. Michael Karos, he uh, actually can talk a lot about those things and the concept behind it. That sounds fascinating. And um, yeah, I just made a note of that, the, the importance of defossilization, not decarbonization. And um yeah, we we uh, mentioned the Dell example earlier, and when you um you know coming up coming up with that phrase just made me think about another story I'd read a few years ago about using trees to um I think it was to make carbon fiber, so kind of missing out the need for the fossilization mm-hmm. aspect uh, and going straight from the tree, you know, a renewable. Um, much more renewable source um, so that sounds fascinating and I'll um, I'll follow up to um, get the spelling of his name right and, and details later um, so brilliant so Rene how can people find out more about you and Faudi and get in touch yeah about myself of course over my LinkedIn profile uh, the other social media uh, channels I'm not using that much um, and otherwise, on the Vaude website, you can find a lot of our products. And if you want to go in our environmental section or in our um, sustainability report, as I mentioned, it's a website. You also can go directly here if you're putting in a sustainability report, uh, Vaude, then you can get to, this, um, to the website. And where you can click through, we having it in German and we have it in the English language. So um, yeah, great. Well, I'll I'm happy I'll, for um, feedback here. I'll I'll put those links in the show notes as well, so that people can go straight to the sustainability report, which sounds as if it's um, industry leading in terms of format and transparency and so on. So I'm sure that'll give people lots of of good insights into how they can um, take their own businesses more sustainable, whether it's um, in a completely different industry or something similar. So thanks, Rene, for sharing those insights on how Faudi Sports is helping slow the flow on outdoor gear and build in um, much more emotional durability. And I look forward to what's coming next, um, particularly around um, defossilization and not decarbonization and that concept of renewable carbon. That sounds fascinating. And in the meantime, keep being part of the solution. Yes, thank you very much. I loved René's description of Faude's ethos, based on reciprocation. Faude makes products that help protect us humans from nature, keeping us warm, dry and safe, and at the same time it wants to help protect nature from humans. It was fascinating to hear about the focus of René's work on new materials, wanting to shift away from fossil-based materials, 
which includes most of the petrochemical-based synthetics materials and coatings. A concrete target of 90% of materials from renewable or recycled sources by 2024 feels ambitious, and it was good to hear René acknowledge that 90% still leaves a significant gap to close. René told us about the development work on renewable-based carbon materials, in other words, finding ways to extract carbon from bio-based materials instead of extracting more fossil-based resources. That sounds promising, but of course we need to consider the bigger picture of land availability, making sure we prioritise regenerative agriculture and conservation of existing forests and other wildlands. So what exactly is renewable carbon? The guest René recommended, Michael Karros, works on renewable carbon. And I found a definition on the Nova Institute's renewablecarbon.eu website. It's all carbon sources that avoid or substitute the use of any additional fossil carbon from the geosphere, the solid layers of the earth. Renewable carbon can come from the biosphere, atmosphere or technosphere, but not from the geosphere. It's worth noting that there are different definitions of the technosphere. Hopefully this renewable carbon context means taking carbon from objects made by humans. It's good to learn that Vaude is also focusing on helping people keep their outdoor gear in use for longer, through their repair guides and services, and by trying to design to improve emotional durability. As René said, what you love, you keep. You might love something because of the style, the craftsmanship that went into it, the way it helps you do something you love in the outdoors, and also because of the adventures it's helped you through. I was interested to hear that Faudi is working out how repairable its products are and making that information available. By linking up insights on the repairs they do for customers, Faudi is able to understand failure points and improve these for the next evolution of that product or component. Faudi's ethos of transparency feels important too, sharing what they're doing and where they're struggling and going further by allowing staff members to share their knowledge and expertise with other organisations. René explained how complicated it is to understand all the different challenges along the supply chain, not just whether you can source the specific, high-spec materials that you need for the product, but whether there are people with the level of knowledge and craftsmanship to make what you need. And, of course, the future risks around resource and people availability, geopolitical and trade issues, what energy sources the local industries are powered by, and so on. The phrase that stuck in my mind afterwards was the need for defossilization, not decarbonisation. As we all understand more about the challenges we face and what specifically we need to aim towards, framing and defining things correctly is critical. Just as we know that the circular economy is not all about recycling, it seems that we should focus hard on how to move away from fossil sources and create a circular economy for renewable carbon. Some quick rethink news. I'm still beautifully busy plugging away with my next book. It feels like trying to stitch together a patchwork with too many different patterns and colours, making it difficult to decide what should go where. 
I'm still editing the chapter on risks, which I've been faffing about with for weeks. And along the way, I've read new stuff that I want to include in earlier chapters. I have to keep reminding myself not to let perfect be the enemy of the good, something that often slows me down. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Rene Bateman of Foudy Sports. And thank you for listening. You can find out more and follow Rene and Foudy on social media. And as usual, you can check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies, or for a market sector, or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com, and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two, or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities, with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. <music>